your Bibles and open them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Thank you for singing that with conviction. It was a great song right before the message here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I did. I allowed just a text to come through there and and, uh, Valeria is in recovery doing well. Good bit of news there with that, and uh, I, I hope that you will keep my cousin Barry in your prayers. And uh, many of you, of course, Brother Barry, Barry's been here on many occasions, and you've heard me mention him as far as the one who's presented the gospel to me and talked to me about that the first time. And uh, his mother passed away the night before last. My aunt Jenny went home to be with the Lord. She she had been very ill and was in assisted living. They'd taken care of her at home as long as they could and uh, very very strong heart problems and such. And she passed peacefully in her sleep. And, uh, and so anyway, they, uh, that just happened. And so if you'll keep him in your prayers, and uh, many, many of you know what that's like, and so please keep that, if you will, there in your mind. In 1 Corinthians 13, let's read through this great chapter again. Would you follow carefully with intention, looking at the Scripture, allowing God to speak to you through the ear as I'm reading it, through your eyes as you look at it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. In our first week dealing with this chapter, we learned about the need of a more excellent way. That, that title there, a more excellent way, taken from the end of chapter 12 is the overriding theme of 
this series that the Lord's led me into to give you on Wednesday nights. And the first message we dealt with was the need of a more excellent way. And we went into 1 Corinthians 12, dealt with what that church was like, what that city was like, what the gifts they were seeking were like and such, and why there was a need of a more excellent way because against a backdrop of carnal minds and fleshly living Christians, the Christian gifts, those abilities that God gave them, led to strife, envy, divisions, pride, these things. And so we saw the need of a more excellent way. We need charity in all things we do. Then we dealt at the beginning of the uh, um, deal with the first three verses of the chapter. The next week we dealt with the empty gifts where it says if I have this and I can do this and I can do this. Basically it's empty at least for the person exercising that gift. Although you may be a benefit to somebody else but it's empty for you if we don't have charity. Last week, we learned of the verb of charity. And we, of course, started out with a grammar lesson, which I could tell was, was something you all enjoyed a lot. Uh, and I, understand, I made you to understand, I know that charity is a noun, but it's always described, and we learn that charity is described not by a description, but it's described by behavior. When God chooses to describe charity, doesn't give you a clinical definition. He says this is what it does. This is what it doesn't do. Uh, we learned about charity's behavior in adversity. Suffereth long and is kind. We learned about charity's behavior towards the success and blessings of others. Charity envieth not. We learned about charity's behavior in temptation. An opportunity to self-promote. And uh, it, that one is it vaunteth not itself. And uh, so we learned those things last week and with that. And by the way, I would encourage you, you missed part of one of these series. They're on the podcast. You can, you can go back and, and get them and, and, and find out all of what was being taught on it. And I encourage you that way. But tonight, uh, whereas we did uh, the first three verses, the, not last week, the week before, we did the first three things in the fourth verse last week, we're just going to be dealing with the very last phrase in chapter Four. If you look at it there, it says about charity is not puffed up. And tonight's title of tonight's message is derived from that, that uh, phrase. In fact, that phrase is the title. And so I want to talk to you tonight about this thing, is not puffed up. Let's think for a minute of that word. Let's think of that phrase about being puffed up. All right, let's think about that for a minute and get our minds looking in the right direction. I've had the opportunity. This has been on my heart. I've been studying it. I've written. I've researched it. You've come straight in from whatever you're doing, and I don't want to leave the station without the train hitched up to the wag or to the engine here. All right, and uh, that could happen. So let's let's together. Let's make a decision right now. Let's think about this thing about what it means for something to be puffed up. And with that, it's very simple as far as definition goes. It's the idea of being inflated. As far as application to a person, um, it's being proud, haughty, arrogant. That's not the behavior of charity. That's not what charity does. Isn't it interesting? We use a lot of terminology that's very similar to puffed up. We've used that term before, but we use it. We'll say somebody, they're they're full of their self, right? Right? How many of you know that old old uh, saying? They're a stuffed shirt. You know, you heard that one, all right? How many of you have ever eaten somewhere and you walked away as a stuffed shirt because you ate a little too much? Right? Is that? But it is a stuffed shirt. 
Has anybody been called a windbag? You ever heard that one? Are they? They're just inflated, aren't they? It's 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 appearing to be more than what it is. It's it's that idea of haughtiness. It's high-mindedness. It's it's this overestimation. Have you ever heard the old saying, boy, if we could if we could buy him for what he thinks, or buy him for what he's worth, and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, we'd be rich. You ever heard that said? That's that's true sometimes. But it is uh, that's this idea of is not puffed up. Uh, may I say to you that each of us in this room, I don't care how long any of us have walked with the Lord, and how close we may be to the Lord, we have in our flesh and in the fleshly part of our mind, we have pride within us. One of the funniest things I ever watch. I'm thinking right now, a particular time, I won't point the man out that did it because it was just, it's funny and it's fell as straight as it can be on stuff. But it's funny watching a Bible-believing preacher try to explain what the good kind of pride is. I've heard them do it. They'll walk, they'll walk into a language trap that they set for themselves. We ought to have pride in this or that. And you can see their mind catch what they said and they're still start trying to explain. We're talking about the good kind of pride. And it's funny. It's always stammering around. It, it's, it just, it's funny to watch because guess how many times the word pride shows up in a good light in the Bible? Zero. 235 references at least and none of them are good. So aren't we supposed to have pride? No, no, no. God has something so much better than that. Better than pride. And it's not just playing with words. There's a distinction in it. Because pride involves an inordinate dependence on self. And I want to say it in a good biblical way. You're supposed to have capacities to do things and realize that you're supposed to do things. You know, I told you about folks that were kin to us down in Kentucky. And not a joke. And this was a fellow, he was cousin in there somehow or other. And um, he was one of these guys who was saved, lost all the time. Every year around revival time, he'd get all fired up for God, and then he was going great guns, and then he'd wipe out not too long later. How many of you have ever known and seen that kind of behavior? Well, he was, he was, he was in the God mode, and honest to goodness, had a flat tire, and uh, got out beside the car, started praying for God to fix his flat tire. You say, preacher, that's spiritual. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm sure the Lord was saying, hey, Jack, there's a Jack in the car. And uh, so I want you to understand when I say pride dependent on self is, is thinking that we are the source and the end all means of things. Or all this I did, I did for myself. That is so different than saying, God's blessed the labor I've done. Thank God He gave me strength so I could do this labor. Thank God He gave me understanding so I could learn that. There's such a difference in those two approaches. And the one is pride, and the other one can be confidence based on experience that you know you can do something well. <laughs> I don't know about you all, if, if I had been Brother Larry tonight and I was going in to have a pacemaker coming in, I would not want the cardiologist to look at me and say, well, you just pray for me. I don't know if I'm up to this or not. I'd be hiring somebody else. I also do not like dealing with physicians of any type who think that when they put the white robe on, it gave them the white throne and they're God. <laughs> 
you dare not ask a question. You dare not have an opinion. I, I, I'll fire them. I won't, I, won't, I won't hire those people to work for me. That's, that's crazy. Um, but it's uh, uh, th- that kind of arrogance. Because somebody who's that proud and arrogant, I'm worried about them. Sure. Amen. The fellow that put Luke's foot back together when they didn't know if he would ever walk right again or not, when I looked up references, he had done. He is the man who's done all the work on the Liz Frank injury. I mean, if you find any publication, uh, and he, he's a fellow at so many different colleges, it's ridiculous. But if you find something written in the modern era and more recent about Liz Frank injury and procedure for it, the name Terrence Philbin's on it, and that was a surgeon and did his surgery. By the way, did a great job. But the only complaint you can ever find, people said he was arrogant. Man was not arrogant at all. He knew what he was doing. You know what else he would do? He would sit and listen to you. To the point where they usually left one screw in. Uh, um, Luke wanted to get all the screws out because he's used to having screws loose. And he, he, he went to do that. And I asked Terrence Philbin, I said, I said, Dr. Philbin, I said, why do you leave that screw in? Now, you know how some doctors would react to that kind of question? You know what he said? He said, truthfully, because that's how we were trained. He goes, we've seen quite a bit of success with it. I said, aren't you used to dealing with static pressures because he takes care of OSU football players and stuff like that? And I said, where you have these heavy load pressures? He goes, yes. I said, what about a fellow who does something athletically that is massive repetition because we have things that keep track of how many RPMs we're doing a minute and stuff while we're riding, who puts in over a million cycles of his feet in a season. I said, what about metal fatigue with that much usage of, of movement? Terrence Philbin, the man who's on all the sets back ends off and says, I hadn't thought about that aspect before. Let me get back with you in a day. Got back and said, that's a valid point. I feel completely comfortable doing this. And it healed up right. Now hold on. That's not arrogant. But when he walked in the room, he wasn't like, I don't know what I'm doing. He knew what he was doing and you could tell. Do you, do you see the difference here? Well, if you really catch this difference, it will keep you from being, you'll start catching yourself if you're acting arrogant and puffed up towards God. Oh, I got this. And it will also keep you from being one of these little mealy mouth things who doesn't ever go forward and do what you could from God because you think somehow it's unspiritual to know that you can do what you ought to do. Right? Yeah. I know I'm transmitting. All your receivers working out here? Okay, that's good. Uh, yeah. So you're getting it there. And, uh, and so what happens is, let's think about this thing, being, being puffed up, all right? Now, if the train's not hitched to the engine by now, I'm, not going, I'm lacking the pin to do it. So let's go forward, all right? So it says it is not puffed up. When we start considering this thing of being puffed up, the context of the whole Bible, where it shows up, and there's only two forms of that that show up, it happens more than twice, but only two forms. Um, we see that there are warnings regarding this behavior. By the way, is uncharitable behavior. In other words, it's not the behavior of charity. And those two, th- those two warnings land in two categories. One deals with personalities. The other one deals with knowledge which is pretty interesting with it. We're going to deal with personalities first. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we're talking about charity is not puffed up. So it's in verse 4. We're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But that term is not puffed up is in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13 in a verse 
that gives us three warnings about what charity is not. In other words, when God defines charity by behavior, He starts out by 75% of the first verse's explanation being, here's what it isn't. If you see this, this is not what charity is. I think that's educational in and of itself. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, look at verse 6. By the way, I can't tell I'm up here. Is it warm out there or how are we on temperature? Pretty comfortable? All right, enjoy it. And then it doesn't get like that very often around here. Uh, <clears throat> I thought maybe the heat was making some of you all look sleepy, but the sad truth, it's me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, look at verse 6, if you will. <laughs> in these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos. The human penman of this is Paul. And so he's talking to the believers at Corinthians, saying, I'm applying something to Apollos and myself. Apollos was an eloquent man. The Bible calls him an eloquent man. Eloquence is a capacity for language use in a way that is both compelling and convicting. It's a capacity to think quickly on the feet with the words, to have an expansive enough vocabulary to fill in the blanks and to keep people's attention. It's a much sought after capacity. People use it in business. You can make a lot of money with it. And he was eloquent. The Bible said he was eloquent. He was a mighty man in the Scriptures. He knew a lot about Scripture. I imagine Apollos could get up there and just quote out Scripture. But I'm going to tell you something. Paul was no slouch either. Although it's, it, it may be understood from some things written in the Scripture that perhaps he wasn't really pleasant to listen to. Perhaps he, maybe his voice was like that. And that'd be kind of hard after about 15 minutes of a sermon. Wouldn't you think? Aren't you glad you got me instead of this? Okay. Anyway, it's... And, and so that may have been part of the problem. I'm not sure. Yeah, I understand. And how can we ask kids to behave when the preacher acts like this? For sure. Uh, <laughs> but the people were getting too enamored with these men. They were fighting with each other, as was revealed back in 1 Corinthians 3. They were fussing with each other. Uh, they're saying, I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. And, and trying to say, you know, they were more spiritual because of what Christian leader they were following. God help us. Of course, that does go on to this very day uh, quite, quite often. And so he can, let's look at the verse again. And so he's addressing this and he says, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. You want to do a neat study sometime? I've preached on this subject. Go in your Bible, just go in the book of Romans alone and find out that which is written about men. And they'll teach you how to think soberly about people. It, it'll help you, I promise you. You might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you, watch the use, be puffed up for one, either Paul or Apollos, against another. Well, I listened to this one. Well, I think this one's better. I heard I was saved under so and so ministry. Really? That was all covered in 1 Corinthians 3. And Paul said, I planted. Apollos watered. Guess who gave the increase? God. So he said, Neither is he that planteth, nor is he that watereth anything, but God that gave the increase. And so he had just got done dealing with that, and then he comes along. He says, I want you to understand that you're not to be puffed up for one and against another. Verse 7. Here's the root of the thing with that. He asks the question by the Spirit of God here. 
For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Well, I've just always been strong. And who gave you that? You cannot by thought keep your involuntary muscles operating. Which means your diaphragm would quit working and your heart would quit working and you would die if you had to actively keep them going because you do not have the neurological capacity to keep them going. They're not wired that way. Your breath and my breath is in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And it'd do well for us to remember it. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? You got to stop by a mere two or three times every time you go by to see if you're as pretty as you were the last time. And hoping everybody else will realize how blessed they are to get to look at you. One that gave you a nose can give you a wart. Ease up. <laughs> Who maketh thee to differ from another? You look and you cower. And... I'm going to say something strong to you. you. Dishonor your Creator by running yourself down. Well, instead of running yourself down for the way you're made, why don't you take responsibility for your bad and wrong decisions? and get those right, and be what God made you to be, and the one God made you to be. Honest to goodness, somebody short wants to be tall. Somebody's tall, they want to be short. Somebody's got curly hair, they want straight. They got straight hair, they want... And somebody just want hair. That you never know. Now God made you a certain way. Now if your own creativity has chunked 50 pounds on it, and you want to get rid of that, that's a good idea. You'll be healthier. But here's the deal with it. Oh, I have blue eyes. I wish they were green. Oh, I have green eyes. I wish they were blue. Oh, I have black eyes. I wish I wouldn't fight. It's, you, people get so caught up on these things and what they can or can't do. Sure, we would enjoy it. I wish when I sang it sounded like something that didn't need a filter to go to heaven and be a blessing. I do. I have a lot of enthusiasm. I remember songs well. And I can't get it to come out. I go sit there and say, oh, God made me that. No, God, God, that's. I didn't wreck it with anything. It was built that way. All right. You know, it's the same God that made the nightingale, made the frog. One can sing and one goes croak. So, happy frogs. It's, look, seriously, there's people who don't do what they could do for Christ because they're always looking around, well, I'm not as good as that one. I'm not as good as that one. I'm not as good as that one. Your Creator made you. Don't dishonor him. That person that you think, well, they have it all together, you have no idea. They might have it all together and they might be a miserable mess inside and you don't have any idea and it doesn't make a difference. God made you for what He made you for. And when we get puffed up for one against another, it's not charitable behavior. We will treat each other very poorly 
if we're not careful with that. And so God speaks of these things and these relationships here with it. And as He talks about this, let's finish verse 7. I stopped partway through. It says, For who maketh thee to differ from one another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? By the way, if we received it, we ought to be thanking God for the things He's given us and all that too. Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Why are you glorying like God didn't give it to you? Well, I've always had a lot of discernment. Well, if you do, and usually people who really do don't crow that much about it, but if you really do, they have enough discernment not to do that. And if you do, then guess who gave that to you? Guess why He gave it to you? So you could be a help to somebody. Not so you could show off what kind of discernment you have. I can really read people. <laughs> Can't you find something more interesting to read? What? And if God did give you strength, use it for His glory, not for your own boasting. May God help us not to be puffed up. We need help. We need help. We need God's day-by-day help. God got me under conviction on something I taught last week. It was interesting. It had to do... I, I, I was talking to the Lord about something and it just, He brought the verse back and said, right there's application for what you were teaching on. And I'm like, whoa. Look at there. Really just made me kind of stop what I was doing for a little bit and look at it. I wasn't driving, thank God. I was, I was just... I'm like, wow. Never saw the application. You said, what was it? That's between me and God, all right? Check yourselves out. You're not my father confessor. I'm not telling you nothing. It was... But there was something very specific. It was like, that right there is what you were teaching. I'm like, oh, okay. Stung a little. But it's good. I don't know about y'all. I'm kind of glad my Heavenly Father cares enough about me not to leave me being a brat. He wants to do something about that. Teach me. Help me. Instruct me. Isn't that neat? You can keep growing. The whole time we're here on earth, we keep growing. And then when we get to be with Him, we see Him as He is and we really get, you know, we don't have all this encumbrance on us. So it's a wonderful thing. So anyway, that's, that's the thing of personalities. Then, let's look at this thing as far as uh, uh, knowledge with it. Um, let me begin with that with you in 1 Corinthians 8. This will, this will be the best place for that. 1 Corinthians 8. This verse will be vital and in, in, in the real foundation for understanding this thing of knowledge. It was not without purpose that I began the message by talking to you about this discerning of what you can do, but yet not being prideful in it, yet being confident in the Lord in what you can do. I, I started, there's a purpose to that. You're going to see it right here. Laying the foundation for this truth we need. What's this thing of being puffed up? Charity, charity is not puffed up. So let's see, see about this thing. 1 Corinthians 8, are you there together? Let's look in verse 1. Now is touching things offered unto idols. And in this passage around it, the issues being addressed of what meats they would or what not eat, if they would eat something that had been offered to an idol, and what you did, how you were careful not to be a stumbling block to somebody else, even though it wasn't particularly sinful. I mean, it wasn't going to defile you. That meat wasn't going to hurt you one way or the other but you didn't partake of it because it would cause somebody else's to trip up in their faith. And so in the midst of that type of teaching, look how charity comes into play in this, okay? Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. 
And in there, it's a context. We understand that an idol is a false thing in that. Then he gives a warning. And in this warning is a foundation for understanding this. Very, very important part. Knowledge, what does it do? Puffeth up. But charity does what? That's the difference between something just being inflated without substance and something that's a solid structure, an edifice. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now here's the thing you got to get with this. If you do a study on knowledge or any derivative form of that word and the applications of various things that mean that in the Bible, as I have done a, a, a decently lengthy study on it in times past and refreshed some for this message, you will find that God speaks often of our need for knowledge. In fact, that He points out that His people sometimes are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We've seen it in the physical world where people not understanding for a long time some of the waterborne diseases that decimated places. It was not understood that sewage getting into water source and all this could cause such problems. We see in the, in the realm of uh, early times of some mechanical types of things uh, that there were great tragedies because they didn't understand how all the forces would interplay when they started using certain things. I'm thinking about when electricity was first used and, and the direct current was in the ascendancy instead of the alternating current for the larger things and much easier to be electrocuted by that and so, so on and so forth and, and, and thinking about these things. What, what is it? God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know a sad fact? There are many cults. Some pass off as if they're Christian denominations, but they're not. That deny who Jesus Christ is and have all kinds of strangenesses built into them. I'm not talking about somebody... I don't call somebody who disagrees with me doctrine in a way cult. That's a very strong word for me. I just throw that word around. But in various cults which spring out and various things which are cults, you'll find some born-again people. Even some people who have sat in Baptist churches where a Bible was open, there was preaching going on. But they didn't, they didn't get the Bible in them. And so what happened was they had a spiritual appetite. And when someone came along that was persuasive with a followable system of doctrine of some type, they got pulled into that. Why? And they're destroyed spiritually. Why? Because of a lack of knowledge. Whereas just the basics of the Bible would have made them look and go, wait, that's not right. That's not right. Something's wrong here. That doesn't match this. And, and so knowledge is an important thing. By the way, the Bible says that the knowledge of the holy is understanding. It teaches us, there's several things mentioned. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. What? The Bible says the workers of iniquity have no knowledge. What does that mean? They don't know anything about anything? No, it doesn't. They don't see the whole picture of what the thing is and what's behind it. Um, so this issue of knowledge is very important. I'll talk to you about something that's very serious. I have experience, been around, heard, and I'm not talking in the dim distant past somewhere, people who glory in their ignorance. It's kind of the trademark of their Christianity to be ignorant. 
they literally go around, well, I don't know anything about anything. About, and they're very proud. It's the only word you can use. Of the fact that they don't know anything. The group with which I preached some in eastern Kentucky up in the open air meetings, they would start out the same way every time. And I'm not going to go into the full-blown hacking preaching with that, which some of you enjoy and others of you about lose it every time I do it. But they would start with this little spiel every time. Well, glad to gather here this morning. I'm up here not by the wisdom of men. I ain't never had no learning. Ain't never been taught by the ways of man. I just open my mouth and the Spirit fills it. And I come up here. And let me tell you, brother, what a preacher said to me one day. Hello? Is anybody's antenna working? Ain't never had learning men. Let me tell you what a preacher brother said one day. Hello? You're probably parodying somebody while you're proud that you never learned anything from anybody. Hmm. I would sit there like the Chinese philosopher and say, something wrong. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. But what about, and forgive me if I use that which I'm called to as an illustration, but it's important because you'll experience a lot of different things and it's far more glaring when it comes from the pulpit. But what about a, a, a dear brother preacher gets up and he hasn't had much education. I'm thinking about Brother Eddie Bates. Y'all didn't know him. Think about Brother Eddie Bates. Went to about eighth grade, if that. He said only he and Jesus knew how he got a driver's license and he wasn't going to tell anybody. Uh, well, he got saved. That man started, it was either 14 or 17 churches that took off as well-established churches. He didn't have apostles. He had apostles. He didn't, I mean, you ought to have heard him. What he did grammatically, what he did with uh, uh, the, the words. But you know what else he did? He got in touch with heaven. And he never got up there and boasted, well, I don't know nothing, but I know something about God. He never did that. In fact, as near as I could tell, anytime I heard Brother Bates, Brother Bates wasn't really aware he was around. He was just trying to tell the people in front of him about Jesus as best he could. There's no shame in that. But it's wrong to glory in ignorance. Say, oh, I'm just not going to learn anything. And you have the capacity to? How dare you not let an instrument of the Lord be sharpened as it ought to be? How dare you be so presumptuous as to not let an instrument of the Lord be taken to its best ability. The thing of knowledge, we have to get the biblical pattern and balance of what God says about it. As a child of God, you're witnessing somebody. Don't you be intimidated because you perceive and think them to be somehow above you educationally. And don't you ever look down at somebody because you think somehow you have an advantage on them. You look straight on in meekness, realizing that the same Creator made us all. And if you've had opportunity, and if you've had capacity combined with that opportunity, use it well for the Lord. Don't glory in it for yourself, but try to bring honor to God and use it as you can. 
That's what God likes us to do with knowledge. And by the way, do you know if we will gain knowledge in so many areas, we, we have opportunity. It expands our opportunity. You may learn a little something along the way about something good. It may not even be something about Scripture. It may be that thing that opens a door for you to speak to someone about their soul. So let's be learning people. And let's grow. Let me give you these Scriptures. Knowledge is very powerful. And therefore has great potential either to bless or harm. That's the nature of great power. Listen to this statement. The difference in its interaction, in the interaction of, of knowledge in each of us is whether or not it is tempered with charity and whether or not it finds lodging in a fleshly mind. Fleshly mind is a mind that's just consumed with temporary things and sensual things. Now don't think just one-dimensional with the word sensual. The word sensual means that it, it, it's satisfied just with sensory input. That it lives on nothing more than just the tactical, just the just that which we take in. And, and I'm not saying to put down because God made those things for us, but a base, what we call a base animal level. It doesn't mean that you like the way something tastes as food that's somehow wicked. No, God allowed us to enjoy that. But that's a basic sensory thing. Nothing wrong with it. But if that's what you live for, that even if you don't get fat over it, that's called gluttony. You become like the Cretans, those from Crete that the Bible talks about, and it says their God was their belly. That's all they live for. They literally live to eat. Now some people don't think they're committing gluttony because somewhere they have a tapeworm and they don't gain weight on it. <laughs> the scale is not the measurement of gluttony. Eating past and using food as a way to hide away and find the solace that the Holy Spirit of God wants to give you. And there is comfort food in the Bible, so it's part of it. But where you go past that, that's where it becomes a problem. Just, and the thing it's put in parallel with in the Bible is drunkenness. It's going beyond what, it, what is there. Why? Because it, it's problematic. Okay? Now think about this for a second. When knowledge hits a fleshly mind that just operates on that base system, there's a lot of potential for damage there. And I'm going to show you that in the Bible. That's not just something I've made up. Right knowledge and knowledge in the right kind of heart and mind is a wonderful and desirable thing. I'm going to use a biblical phrase here. Knowledge, or charity. Charity allows us to use knowledge aright. Dr. David Livingston, and that name's well known for people who know missions. He was a cartographer. He spent much time mapping parts of Africa which up to that point had never been mapped. But his studies had been in the medical field. And he rightly surmised that if he had some medical knowledge and was able to go into people groups and tribes that were, would have even been hostile towards somebody from the outside, much less somebody white, many of them never seen anybody white before. And uh, if he could go in and help them with some of their basic medical maladies, that in doing so he would 
get their favor so that he could present to them the gospel and establish churches. And that's exactly what he did. So what did he do? You took the knowledge, and he was very studious. While he was working, he would open books and leave them where he was working and read portions as he went past. So hungering for knowledge. But he took knowledge and it was put in with a heart of charity and with a mind that wanted to glorify God and God did a mighty work over an entire interior of a continent and stirred people up for missions around the world because of that combination. If we will have a heart of charity and a mind towards God, then the knowledge that we get can be useful and, 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 and bring glory to God, not just impress people with what the bearer of that knowledge knows or does not know. Um, knowledge that purposely seeks to exclude God and knowledge in a puffed up fleshly mind is a very dangerous thing. Consider this sequence that the Bible gives about the damage and corrupting influence of knowledge and an uncharitable heart or a, or a mind that's fleshly. Let me show you. Let me take you through a series here with this. Look in Romans chapter one. Now, not read the whole thing here to you, but look in Romans chapter one. What you're looking for here is there's a sequence of things that happen. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, you have the progressive degeneration of a society. From unthankfulness to sodomites, which is the final stage of destruction of any society. And you have God's pronunciation of judgment upon these things. Let's begin in verse 21. It says, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. I've become very active in saying to people personally when they say in front of me, uh, oh, that was good karma. Or, well, that was a sixth sense or something like that. I stop them and I say, give glory where glory is due. Let's not be Christians and talk like heathens. When it's appropriate, I don't do it to people on the street I've never met before. Um, became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise. They tell you about it. They became what instead? Fools. <laughs> Truly, they were sophomores. Strangest year of any education. Sophos moros. Literally means wise fool. It comes from sophistry and sophos, which means wisdom, and moros or moron. You can figure that one out. And the sophomore is a wise fool. It was given to that stage of learning because they know just enough to think they know what they don't know. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. Wherefore? Because of their first decision. God didn't come and arbitrarily do this to them. They made some decisions and here's what happens with that decision. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness 
through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause gave them, God gave them up unto vile affections. And when it says He gave them up, He let them go ahead. They wanted it so much, He just let them do it. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one to another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense, that's a repayment, of their error which was meat. What does that mean? That means instead of love is love, it's vile affections. Yes, I meant to say that. And I know exactly what I'm talking about. Love is love. No, it's not. It's vile affections. Don't dare call it love. Okay, who has the right to say that? God. Who in the beginning made them male and female. With nothing transitioning. And by the way, in the current state of our country... That, my friends, is called hate speech. Yeah. It is. And it's actually the most loving thing you can tell somebody who's being pulled into those type of seducing spirits. And, verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. We were at the wilds many years ago. Have you ever been over to the wilds by Zanesville? Have you ever been there and you go on the bus through all the animals and stuff? It's really neat. I guess it's really gotten a lot larger. But you go on a bus through areas that are like Africa and all that, and it's really, really pretty neat. But there was particular, I forget which animal it was, but there were some of the animals out there. And the person who was the guy said, well, somebody said something about, it's interesting how that was made or something uh, that was created. And the guide said, well, we don't like to use the word created. And we don't like to use the word made. We like to be more scientific. I was sitting there and I said aloud, you're right, you nailed it. You don't like to do that. Because this was the verse I was thinking of. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want Him there. Because if God's there, there are implications towards our living and our, our beliefs. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, that includes digital form, haters of God, despiteful, Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure 
in them that do them. In fact, they're some of their favorite entertainers. That's where knowledge without charity can go. That's where knowledge, when it puffs up, which is what it said, knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. In that context, knowledge that's not in a mind, in a mind that actively does not want to retain God. It's not just somebody doesn't know God. They say, no, I, no, I don't want God to be a part of this. Knowledge coupled with those things becomes extremely dangerous, both for that person and for all the influence and all they do. So they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. Well, then watch this. In Roman or in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, giving a prophecy toward the end times, this statement is made. Many shall run to and fro. The concept that travel increases and capacity for travel increases. So this this written, what? 12? Over 1,200 years before Christ? In that ballpark? Is that right? No, 695. It's six, 692, 695. It been about, he was 70. It's been about 430 years before Christ. Excuse me. I gave Abraham's age today. Um, so about 430 years before Christ, God leads the prophet Daniel to write this. At the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Do you understand that up until you got to about mid-1800s, early 1800s, it wasn't that nothing new ever came along, but knowledge level was reasonably static. It would, it would flare up and come down, flare up and come down. And then start taking off. Now I'm I'm 57 years old, and I remember when something showed up called a Tandy 1000 computer. And you had your boot up disk, and your, your uh, you know 750k floppy disk. You kept having to trade out. And uh, then they had uh, American Online. They had a chat board. AOL. Man. They had. Now it was really going. I remember the first time I ever saw a laptop. And it had one meg of memory. We like to freaked out on that one over $2,500 for the country. Seriously. I remember the first, uh, I remember the first uh, uh, the Texas Instruments, the big, the big, uh, what do you call it? Calculator, man. That dude was expensive. Oh, yeah. Other people nod their head in here, too, the best we can in our condition. Um, but you know, we do that a lot at our age. Um, it's because we've seen it before. The, and all of a sudden, used to be somebody would ask a question, we'd try to find somebody new, look it up in an encyclopedia. Now, oh, I'll Google that. We'll find it. Knowledge has increased, hasn't it? So, knowledge puffeth up. If knowledge coupled without charity and if it's in a fleshly mind, it's very dangerous and you have knowledge increasing, which it has, then the warning in 2 Timothy, which is what I wanted to show you here, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is extremely vital that we get a hold of, 2 Timothy 3, because the issue here is that charity puff, uh, is not puffed up. Charity is vital for you to be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ without a damage you. Even knowledge 
of the Bible and knowledge of things that are sacred things, if it's in a puffed up mind, causes a massive amount of trouble. May I conjecture to you that it may even cause more trouble than the secular things. Remember, it was the Pharisees and the scribes, people of much knowledge, that were most a thorn in the side of our Savior when He was upon this earth. And went and followed Paul from town to town and stirred the people up to where they actually stoned him and tried to kill him. That was religious people with knowledge without charity. So let's be careful, please. Let's each of us be careful. Second Timothy chapter 3. And I'm in 1 Timothy. Excuse my lack of knowledge here. Verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Those are times that are dangerous. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. In fact, there are entire sections of any large bookstore that will teach you how to do that. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady. What's that next one? I mind it. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Which is why stadiums are consistently full and Bible-believing churches aren't. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And the command is from such turn away. So we have to be careful because knowledge puffeth up and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And God wants us to use knowledge aright, but it will only be used aright as our mind is, is, is centered towards Christ and as we have charity working in us. Charity will keep you from using knowledge as a, as a weapon against somebody else. Charity will keep you from being puffed up by knowledge and thinking that you're something. But instead, it will allow you, listen, to the great treasure you get. It will allow you to see the grandeur and the splendor of God in that which you learn. I encourage you to all right types of study. I confess before you, if it has an ology on the end of it, I like studying it. I am fascinated from everything from biology to volcanology and everything, seismology and everything in between. Absolutely. I love watermelonology. And... Uh, <laughs> I do some hands on with that, but it's, uh, <laughs> um, but I, to learn is a wonderful thing, but to learn and to see it in the proper sitting, setting rather with the grandeur of God and the purpose of the creator as revealed in the scripture and the love of a savior that loves us personally as revealed in the scripture and to see it in that. Oh my goodness. What an incredible thing. Because you're going to find out the further you walk with God that the things that even the people who don't know God get to enjoy because God's very gracious like that. Those of us who are children are His children. We have the opportunity to enjoy them more richly and at a deeper level. Following Christ is a blessing to everything that is truly life and that is truly life-giving. The Duke of Wellington made an amazing quotation that I thought fitted this well. He said, educate men without religion 
and you raise a race of clever devils. Quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a statement, isn't it? In 2 Peter 1, when it says, add to your faith, first thing is virtue, moral excellence in the following of Christ. The second thing is knowledge. The third thing is temperance. Knowledge is so powerful, it must always be couched among virtue, moral excellence, and temperance, knowing how to use it right. The mechanism God's given to be able to do that is this wonderful thing we're learning about together called charity. Let me pray with you. That's what I have for you tonight. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for your scripture. Thank you for opening it up for us. God, I want to be one who walks in charity. And, uh, and Lord, I believe so many in the room do. Lord, I pray that you'll birth within some of your people a hunger to learn things that you've done about what you've created and about how things work together and may they give you honor as they learn it. That they may point to you in all that you do and all that you've done. God, help us to walk before you in honesty and in charity. God, I confess to you the pride that dwells in me. I confess it to you. And uh, Lord, I thank you for what you showed me. And uh, Lord, I, 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 I want your loving hand to dig out that root. And they help me to have sense enough and responsibility enough to do the parts I'm supposed to to aid that. God bless your people. May they have a heart for you. May some of them just tonight uh, open their heart to you. Please, Lord, work in our midst. Amen. Let's stand together. Something y'all bring before the Lord. Something tonight that God's touched you with, with the Word of God. What you ought to do is respond when He does that. God convicts you of sin, shows you the way of salvation. You ought to always respond. God shows you something in your life. This ought to be a place where every child of God that comes to this church feels at home bowing the knee before the Lord. It's a serious time. The invitation is a serious time. It's not a tack on. It's a serious time. How about you tonight? Huh?